Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good welcome. morning. Welcome, everyone, to this, the sixth week of this running edition of Down and Dirty. I'm your host, Mario Nunez, seated alongside my broadcast partner. Good morning, Mario. John Dingfelder, how are you, sir? Yeah, it's John Dingfelder. That's the voice that you recognize. You know, I think, I think we need to apply for one of those SAG cards or something like yeah, that. Yeah, we're we gonna need get, to unionize. We are going to get to that in just gonna... a moment. How is everybody doing on this Friday <laughs> morning? Wonderfully. Doing where wonderfully, the temperature is over. There's Jason. There's Jason. Jason, say hello. Hello. Good morning. Okay, those are the dulcet tones of our yeah, board operator who we, we try to keep him at arm's length. My because radio affectations. If we get him on the air, we'll never get him off the air. That but, is correct. But he does contribute mightily here, so we want to make sure that everybody knows he's seated at the helm, and he can shut our mics off at any point. Isn't that right, Johnny? And we have the amazing, talented Lynn Marvin Dingfelder answering the phone. Is she in the building? She is. She just walked in, 813-239-9663. If you want to speak to Lynn and if you want to speak to us as well, and remember, you can also email us at DJ, at DJ, no, just DJ at WMNF.org. And if you'd like to text us, because apparently some people just like to do that more than anything, you can text us at 813 813- Four three three zero eight eight five. We are here. We're going to be taking your calls and your emails and your texts. We've got a lively show set up for you today, and we're going to start it off a little differently than we normally do. You know that as summer heats up, and boy, isn't it heating up, and tempers start to kind of, you know, get a little shorter and shorter. Well, we're going to do a little segment this morning that we call... Ain't that something? We're just going to call it Ain't That Something. I thought it was called We're Pissed Off. It was going to be, nope, you can't say that. But we were going to say something else. Ain't that something? Ain't that a, ain't that a witch with a B? Can you say that? Ain't that, ain't that something? We're down and dirty. We're down and dirty. And you know, uh, the last thing we want to be is soft here and down and dirty. So let's, let's go around the horn, Jason, John, myself, maybe Lynn might contribute too, because why wouldn't she want to? And let's talk about things that are just sticking in our crawl. Age before beauty, Johnny, take it away. You start first. Well, this one hits, uh, hits us in our pocketbook. Uh, the insurance companies leaving the state of Florida. Um, what, was the, what was this last one? State Farm, I think? Farmers. Farmers. Don't give them free advertising. Come yeah, on. Yeah, no, well, they're leaving. They're leaving, so they're not going to be writing any So business. they've taken our money for decades and decades, and now things are getting a little rough, and here they are running out the door. And what are we left with? Citizens, the state of Florida. We're left with the legislature who didn't do anything on insurance and a governor who's running around playing, uh, I want to be president. I will go second. I will go second. And I will start off with, and probably each and every week, we can incorporate, as we incorporate this segment, into, into our weekly presentation, uh, the governor, as you just alluded to. You just name dropped him. I'll, I'll tag on that and say, you know, as he is... I don't know. What's he trying to accomplish? His poll numbers are tanking. He's, he's not going to get anywhere close to the White House. Yet, he made it possible for him to do all these shenanigans and at the mm-hmm. same time retain his position in Tallahassee, which means one thing for us here in Florida. He's going to get back here after getting his um, keister uh, summarily handed to him and embarrassed because he's an embarrassment. And then, oh, by the way, take it out on the good citizens of the state and of when's Florida. He gonna, when's he going to come running back to Florida with his tail between his legs? Sooner, Sooner than rather than later. Jason, what you got? Uh, I got a county commission thinking about potentially redrawing to go to single-member districts. That's more government and not better government, and that's quite a problem that I don't think well, any what are, how many? Support. How many county commissioners so now? Currently seven. We have three countywide, four districts. There's a postulation of trying to go to maybe perhaps nine single-member districts. That's literally more government and not better government. I don't know how anybody on either side of the aisle. I, we can talk about nine districts, and we can talk about countywide and district. 
you know, homogenized together. But the idea of nine single-member districts is going to dilute the value of having countywide commissioners. Well, the other, the, other, the other thing on that, for those of us who have been around a long time, Jason, is uh, one of those seats is pretty much designated as a minority uh, district seat. Yeah, well, I'm familiar. Yeah, and uh, that's right. You work there. Round, um, round one complete. Johnny, what else you got? <laughs> Um, climate change. Uh, this is crazy. Uh, we've got, I just heard uh, on another news show, 100 million Americans who are under uh, some sort of heat caution, uh, heat alert, uh, the Vermont uh, flooding, which is totally unprecedented. Um, you know, when, when are politicians going to wake up and address? Whoa. For whom that bell tolls? Yeah. It's scary. It's scary stuff. When are, when are they going to address this critical issue? When are we going to stop, you know, digging and drilling? and actually switch over to sustainable energy. Sustainable energy Mario, is something that we'll be away. talking a little bit about today. Thank you, Jason. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dovetail in on, on Big Brother's comment there, Johnny. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's, it's, you know, they say it's the economy, the economy. The, no, no, it's the weather. It's the weather. It's the weather. If we, and listen, I don't, this is not the way we like to end our week. We're going to end it on a positive note, I'm sure. But I will say this. I feel like we've already crossed the Rubicon. We're through the looking glass. Use your favorite figure of speech. But I already think that we've set things in motion here that we, we are not going to be able to reverse, at least not in the next couple of generations. It's sad, but our planet will survive, y'all. The third rock from the sun who's been here how many billions of years? She'll slough us off like the ingrates that we are, yep. and then she'll cool herself <laughs> down. And hopefully whatever crawls out of that muck will, will be more benevolent and kind to our you our host what, planet. You know what's really sad is in, in, in 2000, Al Gore was talking about this. Yep. Okay, we've lost 23 years. And, well, and there's, what a, there's your first generation that was lost. Yeah. Jason, yeah. what do you got? I mean, I got Tampa Mobility Department having a real bit of a scandal on their hands. Now, four senior women all having left in the last two weeks. These are women that are very respected in the community. We already have a city that has major mobility issues, whether it be safety for pedestrians or bicyclists or the fact that we have the same mass transit as like Timbuktu. Like we are not in a great situation now, and that situation is degrading and getting worse. Round two complete. Johnny, take us home. All right. This, this What's your third topic? This is the last one. Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, and this leads us as, with a segue into our show, yeah. The Rice is Well. Then, then the do you, want, do, the then do you well. want to go last? And let, All right, I'll go last. Because go that'll be a great it. way to segue into it. I'll, I'll go Hit next. Me, Mario. I'll go next, and here it comes. Listen, are y'all paying attention out there? I know Florida's a right-to-work state, and for those of us that have dabbled in the industry a little bit and have gone on auditions and have been trying to make a go of it here in the state of Florida, which is incredibly difficult— are you paying attention to what's happening with the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, and SAG after those unions that bring us all of the entertainment that we count on to kind of distract us a little bit from everything that's going on? Listen, they're under assault right now. Pay attention to this because this could be the end of Bread and Circus. Mario, you've had a brief, uh, illustrious a, acting career. I Were had you a, a SAG member. I, I was, I was there back in '93 and '94, and so I've had a little dalliance. And with Lenny, it. and Lenny was a AFTRA member so, when she was in Hollywood. So it's important, but it's important to the people that make their living, uh, bringing us the entertainment that is so necessary. Again, Bread and Circus to distract us from the things that we are dealing with each and every day. And if this goes away, and it might. We're in a, a big world of hurt. So anyway, that's that's uh, and and Jason, Jason, 
Uh, we're going to take it real local on this one, Man City of Tampa Construction again. Someone who lives here in Southeast Seminole Heights, man, it feels like every time I turn around, my neighborhood feels like <laughs> like a war zone. It's this block, it's this block, it's this block. There's no logistics or anything tying between it, but everything is under construction. And I know a lot of people that are getting real frustrated with it. So before we're we get it to real local. before we get to John and, and, and the topic for today's discussion on the way over here today, looking at the downtown corridor on 275, I'm thinking to myself, you know, the whole time I'm thinking the city bird or the state bird, you know, is either the pelican because we have and seagulls or maybe it's a, an ibis i don't even know what that is but ibis. It, yeah whatever that is ibis but in the morning ibis in the morning so maybe i'm thinking that's our net our 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 our, our municipal bird uh, I digress. The, the municipal cr- the, bird the crane, is the crane, the crane because it is just blowing up. And where are we going to shoehorn these people into? Maybe we can ask our guest because I, I know that he's has a, a little experience with sustainable living. <laughs> Wonderful segue. Take it, John, to uh, to the today's topic. All right. Today's topic. The question is, should we be saving the whales or saving the ports of Florida? Got a whale of a tail to tell you, lads. A whale of a tail or two about the flapping fish and the girls I've loved on nights like this with the moon above. A whale of a tail, and it's all true, I swear by my tattoo. There was Mermaid Minnie. Met her down in Madagascar. She would kiss me anytime that I. That's lovely. That's a lovely choice. Yes, it was. Kirk Douglas, right, Jason? Kirk Douglas? I'm Spartacus. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Anyway, uh, on a more serious note, and and if you were in the studio, you would see Mario doing some sort of muscle flexing. That was a little jig. That was a little bouncing up and down on my chair. Yes, of course. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, uh, in all seriousness, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, reading the Tampa Bay Times. And uh, our guest had a uh, who's the environmental reporter for the Tampa Bay Times, uh, Max Chesnus, um, had an article in there. Actually, a couple of articles recently about the plight of the rice's whale. So we've invited Max into the studio. Mario, who is Max? Max is an Eagle Scout with a double degree from the University of Florida. Go Gators, Go Gators. in journalism and sustainable Tunnels. studies. Okay, he was a columnist, staff writer for the UF newspaper, The Independent Florida Alligator. And an, 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 what is that? Environmental. Yeah, I like that. I like that abbreviation because I can read that. (laughs) Reporter for the university TV station as well, UWFT. Prior to joining the Tampa Bay Times, he was an environmental reporter for the Gainesville Sun and the Treasure Coast Palm. Max joined the Times last October, and Max, aren't we fortunate to have you at your post? Welcome. It is uh, great to be here in the studio. I'm glad you led with Eagle Scout. That is uh, a baby. proud accomplishment of mine. Yeah, but it's great to be here, um, and um, happy today to talk about the rice as well with you all. But before we get there, Max, you indicate uh, you wrote a story about uh, the climate change and the heating of the Gulf of Mexico this week. You've got a big beat, uh, yeah. in environment. Uh, I think you are the environment reporter. For yeah, the how are you sleeping these days, Max? Not much. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of news going on from the environmental front. And if you've been paying attention this week, one of the big stories is the marine heat wave going on right now off the coast of uh, South Florida near the Everglades. Um, temperatures as high as 98 degrees. Um, down south of the Everglades, which obviously spells trouble for um, coral and also marine life. And so a colleague of mine and, and myself, we wrote a, a story this week about the plight of the corals and, and what it means if waters are to be superheated for the next coming weeks um, through the summer, because we're not even in the peak of summer yet, and um, you both know. Um, the peak of summer is September-ish, usually August, September, and water is already 98 degrees. So 
if corals are to be bathing in that heat for another few weeks, it could spell trouble for coral bleaching and dead uh, zones. Yeah, in dead zones and harmful algal blooms. You name it. You know what? We're gonna we're gonna have a, a whole show on that later in the summer, and Max will have you back to talk about Please. that one. That that's a, a huge issue. Um, but going back to the rice as well. What what got you there? What you led us there? Tell us a little bit about the plight of the rice as well. Yeah, so the, the story of the rice as well is really a significant tale, and it drew me, uh, I was drawn to this, the story of the rice as well for a number of reasons. And one, I think it's because it's really a microcosm for a larger biodiversity issue as we see biodiversity loss accelerating across the world. But um, for those who don't know, the rice's whale uh, was named a separate species in 2021. So for a long time, scientists thought the Brutus whale, which is a similar species, um, was the rice's whale and that the rice's whale was just a subspecies of that. Well, upon um, a beached whale uh, washing ashore in the Everglades in 2019 and Sandy Key in the Everglades, um, researchers had uh, a physical specimen to examine um, pretty in-depth, and they were able to determine through some taxonomical um, science that this was, in fact, a separate species. And um, Why does that matter? Why does that matter? It matters for a number of reasons, especially the, the regulatory framework um, from the federal standpoint is when you have a separate species that comes with its own set of regulations, its own set of laws, and how you can operate um, for instance, like what we're talking about today, vessels and, and other marine industries um, and how that operates around a species. And so think manatee, manatee. Exactly. Yeah. Manatees are a number, uh, number one example of that right now happening on the East Coast and the Indian River Lagoon. But um, so to describe because we are radio, describe what this whale looks like. Yeah, so the rice's whale, it, it can get up to, to, I believe, 30 tons, 40 feet long. Um, it's, it's, it's a baleen whale, mm-hmm. um, and a baleen whale means it's a filter feeder. So basically, it sucks its food in as opposed to a tooth whale, like a sperm whale or an orca. These are filter feeders, right? And, uh, and what's significant about the rice's whale particularly is that it's only found in the Gulf of Mexico, the northeast Gulf of Mexico, to be exact. And so um, a lot of folks are calling this the Gulf of Mexico whale because it is the whale in our backyard, um, Simplistic, but it, it gives it a geographical. It does. Not only the marker. only whale in, in our backyard, but I think I read the only whale that just stays in the waters of the United States. Correct. All yeah. the other whales migrate, you know, into international Hundreds waters, or thousands of miles. other countries, et cetera. This is our yeah. nation's whale. It is our whale. Yeah, it's, it's Florida's whale too, as well. If you look at the actual habitat breakdown, and again, the habitat is still being determined, right? Because there's there's limited data on the species. The habitat is still being worked out as far as how far it goes west, north, south, east. But for right now, it's basically a stretch of offshore waters from Tampa to Pensacola. Okay, but we got thousands of these whales. What are we worried about, right? No, there's uh, actually only roughly, uh, rough estimates give it 30 to 50 whales left. Three uh, zero, 30 to 50. Three zero to five zero. Yeah, 50 is probably the more accurate number of those estimates. Uh, I know 50 people, so that's concerning. <laughs> and and then the gestation for these whales, probably like most other mammals, large mammals in the ocean, it takes them a minute to repopulate. So mm. when we lose a whale uh, in the wild, it's not like, you know, you're just going to grow another one in another week. You know, it takes yeah. a period of time. These are marine mammals. These are big creatures, and they take a long time to grow and to recover and to heal, just like any other mammal would. So, Well, Max, um, we have a, another gentleman uh, joining us uh, this morning, um, and he's on the phone. Yeah, Christian Wagley, are you there? I'm here. Good morning. Good morning to you. Can I can I give you this? Can I read this little intro on you, Christian? While while, you, while I've got you there on the line, let me do this. I hope I don't embarrass you or myself because I can read on the air 
Cold Read Live. Christian Wagley is a coastal organizer organizer for Healthy Gulf, working on water quality, energy, and climate issues along the coast of northwest Florida and south Alabama. He previously worked on green building and development issues in both the public and private sector and is a strong advocate for restoring Pensacola's urban core and making the city more pedestrian and bicycle friendly. We love that. Christian holds master's degrees in biology, coastal zone studies from the University of West Florida. Welcome, Christian, to our show. Thanks very much. Yeah, great to be here. Christian, uh, tell us a, a, a bit about what healthy golf is what does that mean? I never heard of it until I read the story, and uh, and how you got involved and you and your organization and various other organizations with the rice as well. Yeah, Healthy Gulf is really the first um, nonprofit organization that was founded to work on these environmental and, and climate and energy issues across the Gulf of Mexico region, so from Florida to Texas. Uh, but we're not new. We were founded actually in 1995 in Florida. Um, at, a, at a meeting of conservation um, professionals, and then we decided to um, open our first office in New Orleans, and we've been based there ever since the late '90s. But we have staff working in all five uh, in all five states. We were known as Gulf Restoration Network uh, for a number of years uh, before renaming it as Healthy Gulf several several years ago. Um, we have worked on a variety of issues. You know, the the big BP disaster in 2010 was a huge uh, you know huge issue for us, and certainly the um, working around the oil and gas issues, which really dominate in much of the western and central Gulf, has been a big part of our work for, for many, many years. But we've also worked on conserving species like sea turtles and, and whales and marine mammals. And um, increasingly, I would also say that our work has evolved. It's always about people and protecting people and communities, but I would say it's a little bit more directly around that a lot of times now, protecting people from, say, a polluting industry next door to their community or um, you know something along those lines. But we've been working on the rice as whales for you know, probably 15 years or, or, or longer. Wow, 15 years. Is that, what, that was before they were even called the rice as whale or what? Yeah, Max gave a good introduction there about a little bit of the, the you know changes they were believed to be a subspecies of brutus whale for, for many, many years. I mean, they, they are, they're not a new animal to humans. The early whalers and mariners, their accounts back to the 1700s of them seeing these whales in the Gulf. And really the modern movement around studying them um, was kicked off in 1965 when um, a dead uh, rice's whale, then called a brutus whale, came ashore around Panacea in the Panhandle of Florida. And Dale Wright, um, a longtime whale researcher, published a paper that same year based on um, what he knew of the whales and that one whale that stranded. And of course, they ended up naming the whale after him when they fully reclassified it as a distinct species. Which, so we clearly, way, we clearly have a. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I would say that I don't know that the renaming or the and the, the, the identification of the rice's whale as a fully distinct species really changed much under the law. The Endangered Species Act protects subspecies, and the Marine Mammal Protection Act protects whales and dolphins as well. So I'm not sure that that changed much, but it was certainly uh, uh, significant from a biological and taxonomic standpoint. Speaking of the Marine Mammal Protection Act, MMPA, um, celebrating its 51st year, um, was established in 1972. One of the few things that Richard Nixon did uh, did right, is along with the Endangered Species, Species Act. Um, Clean Water Act. Clean Water Act, too. Yeah. All right, we're going to go ahead and give him a little bell ring on that because... Jason got that? R Richard, yeah. No, I got that one. Uh, Richard Richard Nixon did a lot of things wrong, but he was... Rachel Carson. Pretty, pretty good at, on advancing a lot of the 
conservation that we needed with air and water quality issues. I am issues. not a crook. So we'll leave it right there. Where's Tricky Dick when we need yeah. When the president does it, it is not oh illegal. Oh, my God, please. Cut off his microphone. <laughs> he controls the mic. We're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I have the power. Christian, um, yeah, back to you. So you were talking about the, the rice as well. And how did your organization and what other organizations are involved in this, I don't want to call it a lawsuit, in this administrative action? Yeah, we, we work with a lot of national partners um, who have a lot of people like marine mammal biologists and such that we work with for that more specialized uh, expertise. And we've been involved, Healthy Gulf has been involved in multiple um, petitions and, and various legal actions related to the federal government around protecting the whale um, going back to, I think, at least 2014 when we would have um, petitioned for um, them to be designated as a um, endangered species. So that, that went on. Um, we have petitioned for um, the designation of critical habitat, which, by the way, that is a that is a critical juncture that's about to happen any day now. The federal government has um, announced, or does anyway, that they've met their timeline, and that should be published in the Federal Register any day now. So that'll be a map um, showing the most critical area of, of habitat for the whales. This is a a critical point on the juncture of any protection of any endangered species is they have to publish a map of that critical habitat and what that means. So that's about to happen, and that was based on um, a petition from us as well. And then, of course, the one that's been in the news lately, which is our petition from 2021 for speed restrictions on vessels, which, by the way, what Noah opened up for the comment period that got so much attention was just a comment period on our petition. It wasn't a petition for rulemaking. That would come next um, if Noah chooses to do that. And it's wonderful that we live in a country where the public has the ability to weigh in on these issues in a really full and substantive way, and the agencies have to take that into account. And sometimes we, the conservation groups, have to help nudge them along. Okay. Christian, I've got a question for you and, and, and Max uh, weigh in on this as well. You know, we've seen some kind of exciting, and I think that's the proper uh, adjective, exciting work in, in, in the area of preserving and saving and working with preservation with the Florida panther. Uh, do, you, do you hold some of that promise for this beautiful creature that we're trying to preserve in, in our Gulf waters? Well, I think with, with the similar with the panther, I think, you know, because of the fact that the rice whale is right in our backyard, there's a lot of pride behind that and a lot of local pride, but national pride as well to protect it. Um, I do want to also mention, too, um, the, the actual specifics of um, Christian's petition, the Healthy Goals petition with Center for Biological Diversity and other groups um, would call for uh, a 10 kilometer reduction, a speed a slow speed zone of 10 kilometers. Why is that important? Of 10 knots, my apologies. Um, and that's, well, that's what they're calling for in terms of reducing vessel strikes, right? So it would be, it would be a 10 knot slow speed zone as well as a nighttime uh, tra travel restriction through the, the rice's whale habitat. I just wanted to note that as well. And, and, and this area that we're talking about, the Gulf is rather large. People that don't, don't get out on the Gulf, if you fly over it, you see how big it is. And you know how big it is. It, we're, we're not talking about... The, a majority, how, how much in a percentage would you consider this area to be, this sensitive area? Well, again, it's... it's and it's in flux because we're still trying to yeah. figure it out. Right, it's in flux. Uh, it's, if you look on a map and you look at the current highlighted region, it's, it's, it's exclusive to the Northeast Gulf. So I think if you were going to break it down, I think it's maybe 15, 20% of the entire Gulf of Mexico, uh, if you look at it from just a, a pure geographical spatial um, viewpoint, but again, it, again, that's still being determined. Christian, the boats that, that, that the, the, the boat strikes that we're talking about, and those of us that, that don't know anything about the, the deep waters of the Gulf, um, but we do know about the, the plight of the manatee here in the rivers, uh, in our rivers and estuaries and where the boats travel way too fast. How is it that the boats basically 
takeout, and we're talking about ships now, not boats. We're talking about well, that's shipping, another question we're going to get to. Are we talking about big vessels? Or right. Are we talking about boats? And we're going to get to that definitely a little later on. Mario, go ahead. Your question. No, my question was just how did how does that work? Why, give, how, give us why, the mechanics. Why does it endanger the whale? Give us give us the mechanics Precisely. of that. I mean, does it run over the whale? Does it chop the whale up with his? I don't I don't know. I'm being I'm just trying to play that person that doesn't know it much about punches this. the whale very hard. Does, and is the, does that happen? You know, we, they're, they're, at the, they're at the surface, they're mammals, they're breathing, and while they come up to the surface, the boat that's traveling at 20 knots, talk to me about the mechanics of that. Yeah, well, I think you hit on a lot of the key points. I mean, vessel strikes are widely known to be one of the greatest threats to whales across the planet, everywhere. Um, and these are not, obviously, these don't happen on purpose. They, they happen accidentally. But as you mentioned, the whales spend uh, much of their time close to the surface because they have to breathe. And so they have to come to the surface to breathe. Um, the rice's whale in particular, we found um, being particularly vulnerable to those nighttime, that nighttime travel because the whales have been found to rest close to the surface at night, almost like, you know, sleeping. And so we know that when the whales are active, they, they do try to take some evasive action if they know that a vessel is approaching them. The science shows this and experience out of the water shows this. Um, but they clearly don't, and they, but they have to be able to get out of the way, and a slower vessel allows them the opportunity to get out of the way. It also allows the vessel operator, if they see the whale... To move, to navigate around them. Evasive action, right, right. Now, at night, obviously, that's not possible. You're not going to see the whales, and the whales are kind of suspended in the water close they're to... They're sleeping. ...at night. Makes them, makes them vulnerable. They're not able to be seen, and they're not able to take evasive action. But, yes, these, these vessel strikes can be immediately um, result in immediate mortality, or they can result in an injury that an animal may live with for some number of years, but it may limit or eliminate their ability, say, to breed uh, successfully, for example. Um, you know, in our petition, we document that the two vessel strikes we know of, one was a female that, that the reports are that carried in on the bow of a freighter into Tampa, um, was investigated by NOAA, a necropsy was done, and it was, it was determined to be, it was a ship strike for sure, that, that killed that whale back in 2009. Um, a few years ago, a whale, a rice's whale, was observed out in the Gulf with a final deformity from an injury consistent with a vessel strike. But what we do know from whales worldwide is especially these whales that live offshore, like the rice's whale, um, if one is struck, there's almost, there's very little chance that we're going to see that whale. You know, if they, were, if they were struck a mile offshore, it would be more likely to wash up on our beaches. But these are animals that are living 40, 50, 60 miles offshore. And so um, if there's mortality out there, we're very unlikely to ever see that whale come ashore, which is why the one in 2019 that Max mentioned, which was offered the ability to, to do all this new analysis that determined it was a disease species, was such a rare event because they so rarely come ashore and strand. The only other one I know of was in 1965. Now, there may have been others, but they're not all. Well, gentlemen, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. Um, two questions. Number one. Most of us in the in this audience, and you know, we might might never see a rice as well for our entire lives. Um, there's probably a very good chance of that, or a whale, or a whale, or a, or a, or a whale. whale in the wild. So, <laughs> or a whale. So the question is, why why do we care? You know, why why do we care? And the and then the second question uh, is, is, one of you guys mentioned the uh, BP oil spill, um, Christian. What was the impact of the BP oil spill? Uh, on the rice's whale um, habitat, right? Well, well, well what, what was the impact? I, I think they've studied it pretty deeply. Yeah. They did. Uh, scientists estimated that the BP disaster killed about 17% of the remaining population Jeez. of whales. And 
the oil and gas that goes on in the Gulf of Mexico, which again is in that central and western part of the Gulf, um, is a is a terrible um, stressor to the whales. It has it has limited their habitat. So the reason that we're finding them off Florida mainly is it's the quietest and least industrialized part of the Gulf of Mexico. So they've literally retreated over here to try to survive because of the rest of their habitat, which is in that that drop off area where the Gulf drops from about 300 feet to 1,200 feet deep. That's their favorite area. That ranges around the Gulf of Mexico, and we know that they formerly ranged around the Gulf of Mexico, but they're not seen as often. They are seen occasionally, but not seen as often in those states where all that oil and gas drilling goes on, which is a terribly chaotic and noisy environment that makes it very difficult for a whale to live in, and that's oh. why we're finding them more often. All right, Max, we'll go to the more the bigger esoteric question to you. Why do we care? Well, I think I think scientifically there's a lot of significance here with the rice's whale. Because there is such a small number, the, the data that currently exists behind the rice's whale is still being, I mean, they're still building databases. Data. Yep. Yeah, and so I think there are a lot of scientific questions, which then inherently breed uh, policy questions and policy decisions. And Christian mentioned it earlier, but what's currently being considered by, by NOAA is not a rulemaking decision. It's a petition that that uh, environmental groups brought forward to NOAA. And so that, that public comment period has just closed uh, this past July 6th. And so right now internally, NOAA is deliberating on what to do next and how to proceed with rulemaking. But I think why should we, why should we care? I think, um, like I said, this is, this is an animal that's in our backyard. I think um, it's a sentient being, too. It's a mammal. It's, right. it's, obviously, they, they, they found the place to, to, to live where it was the least amount of traffic because they figured, okay, we've got to reduce our area to this section because that's where we can survive. But yeah, and so scientifically, I think, and again, this, the, the, the bigger picture here is that as we start to lose more species with biodiversity loss, questions of how to respond uh, continue to emerge, right? And so this is a good test case for how do we approach policy decisions when species become smaller and smaller and smaller. We've got a lot of economic factors uh, pushing against this proposal. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of which, uh, Mario, what do we got? Well, I'm just going to say this real quick. If you're just joining us now and you're listening to Down and Dirty with Mario Nunez and John Dingfelder on WMNF 88.5 FM or streaming worldwide at WMNF.org, you can certainly join our conversation by calling us at 813-239-9663, email us, dj at wmnf.org or text us 813-433-0885 we've got a couple of callers here online that have been waiting we'd take, like to take yeah, a captain we are going to take a call here from somebody who refers to himself as captain bob zales captain bob are you there with us yes sir i sure am all right we got that call hey bob um thanks for uh, calling in uh, we chatted briefly this morning and i wanted to get Another perspective on this uh, issue, um, and you're you're well versed uh, on the controversy and on the issue. Uh, by the way, just for as a matter of record, I did contact the Florida Ports Association and ask them to come on board with their position, and they are very strong against uh, any conservation. These, these well, these conservation, this conservation issue, uh, they refused to come on. I called the Port of Tampa. They refused to come on. I called the Port of Manatee, and they didn't come on. So, Captain Bob, we appreciate you coming on and giving us a different perspective from the uh, marine industry. Yeah, and I would think your comment about the, the ports being anti-conservation uh, issued on this, it doesn't have anything to do with the conservation. It has to do with the economics and the social impacts to the state of Florida plus other states in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, the key thing here... And, and if you read my last uh, letter to 
uh, respond to this that was done uh, that I sent in on the uh, uh, second or third of July, whenever that was. Anyway. And, and Bob, before we go on, tell us you are up in the Panhandle, Panama City, I believe, as a charter boat captain, and you also represent a couple of organizations. Which ones? Yeah, and and I'm kind of a unique representative. I represent. I'm I'm president of the National Association of Charter Boat Operators, which is a charter boat organization. Uh, we have members from Alaska through Maine and Hawaii and the Great Lakes. I also represent the Southern Offshore Fishing Association, which is the grouper commercial fishery uh, based out of the Madeira Beach. And then I also represent our local association, Panama City Boatman Association here in Panama City, Florida. I've been, uh, my family's been in the charter fishing business since 1965. So I'm well versed on this area in the Gulf of Mexico. I've fished it for many years. And I'm well versed with the impacts on the commercial fishery, on the recreational fishery, on the uh, shipping, on on pretty much. Have you ever seen one of these whales, Captain? No. And and frankly, I've I've talked to a whole lot of people. I don't know of anybody that's ever seen one. Mm -hmm. And I would like to tell you, I mean, we're talking about vessel strikes and these things being hit by vessels and it's killing them. There is no scientific evidence anywhere that says that a vessel has hit a whale and killed it. Now, there is evidence of a vessel strike, from what I understand. There was a ship that came into Tampa Bay, which Tampa Bay, by the way, is 100 miles away from the alleged habitat of this whale. So either this ship hit this whale, uh, and the whale could have been dead already. It could have been killed by the ship. We don't know. But apparently the whale was brought in. It was on the bulbous part of the uh, ship that came in there laid over there. So, But there is no evidence that the whale was alive when the fish hit it. These whales, when these animals, when they die, they float for a period of time. So anything could hit them. Another whale was found in the Everglades. So I understand that one was uh, had a lot of plastic in its stomach, which could have killed it. But if it was in the Everglades, it's even further than the 100 miles from its habitat uh, area. We don't really know where these things live. We don't know where they are. We don't know how many. They say there may be 30 to 50 or however many there are. It's real interesting that when we get this kind of information where they can count the whales and count these other things, that when it comes to fishing, which is my business, we don't have a clue how many fish are out there. And these are the same scientific people that are involved in this with NOAA that Make these determinations. All right, let's give Christian a our head. let's give Christian a chance to to rebut anything that you said so far. And Bob, I think one of the things that you that your groups are interested in is uh, the regulation of small boats versus large ships. And uh, and my question to Christian after you do your rebuttal, Christian, would be: uh, Are you looking to try and regulate small boats in in, in this area, or just the larger uh, ocean going ships? Well, hey there, Captain Zales. I'm uh, I'm over in Pensacola, so I'm going to stop over in Panama City and see you one of these days. I have met with uh, with recreational fishermen around Pensacola and really seeking out their input on this as well. So it's good to meet you and good to have you on here. Um, well, there's a couple things. First of all, there's there's just no question from the necrosy that was done by NOAA that that was a vessel strike that killed that whale in Tampa Bay, and that is certainly within their habitat range. And we, we roughly know where the whales are. Again, it's pretty well established that what they eat um, which is a fish called mainly a, called the silver rag drift fish lives in that drop off area, and that's where the whales have been observed. They've been going out and observing and, and studying the population of these whales pretty strongly since at least the 90s. 
Um, and so that's why that map that you see that is invading the core habitat, which is what where the petition um, outlines possible speed restrictions, goes from roughly Tampa up to basically Mobile, Pensacola. That's where most of the sightings have been. But again, they've been heard and seen more in the western Gulf as well, and they did used to live there, and they will need to reclaim that that former range. Um, I will tell you an update. The, the petitioners, the six groups, including Healthy Gulf, that petitioned for this, um, we filed our own comment letter last week, and we did update our position on the smaller vessels. And so we suggested to NOAA that because there is not as much known about smaller vessels, um, they're not tracked. You know, larger commercial vessels, you can go online and look at them at any time and see them going across the Gulf, see where they're going, see how fast they're going. They have, they, uh, they have tracking, uh, uh, you know, devices on, on, on board. The smaller recreational boats don't. So we've asked that NOAA leave out for now vessels less than 65 feet in length, um, even though the science says that they, they certainly are threats to the whales, but that, that they be studied and more information gathered about their habits and how many there are. So, Bob, that sounds like good news for you. Not necessarily, because, I mean, I'm not talking about 20-foot center consoles. I mean, there's a lot of recreational vessels out there. There's head boats. There's commercial vessels that are all greater than 65 feet. That area right there is also a uh, prime area, portions of it, for the grouper longline fleet. And, you know, you're talking about not only just restricting the speed, you're talking about uh, once uh, daylight goes away, you got to stop. Now, you've got a big safety issue here. You're out there fishing. You're out there in this area. And all of a sudden now, you've got to stop doing everything you've got to do. There's no way you can anchor because you don't have enough anchor line there. So you either have to put out a sea anchor or you drift. Now, weather comes up and things happen to where you're getting into rough conditions. It's not safe. And you can't move. So what are you going to do there? You know, and I heard some discussion a little bit earlier on your show about the Panther, Florida Panther, right? We all love Florida Panthers. So I, now I'm thinking, okay, we're talking about a speed zone for whales in the Gulf of Mexico. Why don't we talk about a speed zone? Let's do 10 miles an hour on all the highways that go through the Panther habitat. Let's see what the people think about that. See how that affects people's economy, how that affects social interactions. I mean, you're not talking about just boats here. You're talking about shipping. You're talking about all our supplies coming from wherever it comes from into the Port of Panama City, Port of Mobile, Port of Pensacola, Port of Tampa. A lot of equipment comes through here. Since COVID, we already see massive delays in getting supplies and materials to people that need it. So now you're going to increase that delay by saying, okay, the ship can only do 10 knots, cast the night, cast the stop. So... It's a big problem. Well, Ca Captain Bob, I've got a, a question on that one. Uh, again, I'm devil's advocate, and I don't even know what side I'm on at this point. But my question is, is when I was looking at the map that, that's been proposed, couldn't, couldn't the ships, now I'm talking about the big ships, not the fishing boats and stuff, but the, the big ocean-going ships, the oil tankers, et cetera, couldn't they just dodge around the, the edge of this if they're coming from New Orleans or Houston or wherever? Couldn't they... Couldn't they just sort of dodge around the edges on, on either side, on the shallow side or the deep side of this trench? Sure, you could do that. What, how much is that going to cost? What, how, how much extra fuel and time and, and effort there's going to be involved in making this wide roundabout way to get from point A to, B, to point B? Okay. I mean, you've got, you've, you've got economic costs here. You've got social impacts here. And if you had the science, the true science, on these animals to really indicate what needed to be done, you could do that. 
I'll throw in one other thing here. You know, we're playing with the North Atlantic right well, right? Now, recently, the Marine Mammal Commission came out with a very interesting statement because there's been a lot of controversy up there with wind farms and things like this. There's been a whole lot of whale strandings up there in the past several months and all the fishermen up there have been screaming, okay, wind farms are causing this, seismic stuff's causing this. Marine Mammal Commission comes in here and says, Despite several reports in the media, there's no evidence to link strandings to offshore wind energy development. Although these strandings have generated media interest and public scrutiny, humpback whale strandings are not new. All right. Well, I, I don't want to get too distracted. I want to get too distracted on other whales and other species because we don't, we don't have a lot of time. Max, Max do you have something to offer? Let, 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 me, let me stop you just a minute. A lot of the stuff that they're talking about, the rice as well, they're basing on the fact that other whales in other parts of the world have the same kind of issues. That's how they combine the two. So this is very pertinent. Okay. This this report from the Marine Mammal Commission, the people that control this, says that as the northern right whale population increases, these animals tend to strand themselves and kill themselves. So, okay, so as you get an increased population, you got more of them dying. That these strandings, they're saying, have nothing to do with... with uh, wind farms or anything else it's just a natural occurrence as the population increases you got more die all right there's a whole lot of science that needs to be looked at here okay max suggesting we're suggesting satellite tagging they do this all the time you see great white sharks follow them all around the world with satellite tags let's go out here and let's tag a few of these rice as well let's see where they really go where they do up down in the water column the whole thing let's figure out how many, where they're going, what they're doing, and then let's play with trying to create regulations to protect. All right. Max? Well, I think I think both Christian and Captain Bob can both agree that more science is always a good thing, and I think um, <clears throat> there there is that some questions about these whales that still need to be answered. And I think uh, you know for, from one side, like from the from the port side, right? You say, well, this is a rushed proposal, right? And I think in, in some ways, when you look at the data that exists, um, there are, there are some. Vessel strike data that exists, but there's also data that shows, uh, you know, oil spills are harmful to these species as well. There's several myriad factors that are affecting these whales, and they're looking to do more oil exploration out in this area. There's an option for some leases, um, but again, the, the the question though of data, I think these, this is a species that there's only 50 animals left, so it's very hard to first of all pinpoint specific animals and to not only tag them but to study their 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 sounds and um, and how they breed and how they eat and how they sleep. I wrote a story recently about what they eat, which is um, a silver rag drift fish is what they're called. They're a common schooling fish in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, very high in nutrients and very high in lipids and proteins. And uh, the science is showing that they target these animals because they want their nutrients, right? They want that energy. And so we need more studies that are done about those particular things so that we can inform conservation efforts. And I think both sides, both Captain Bob and, and Christian, would agree that more science is always a good thing on that. Well, speaking of, of both sides, um, I called the uh, NOAA, uh, NOAA, National Oceanographic Agency. Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Thank you. Yeah. Thank there you, you go. Um, and the fisheries division, and to ask them, the, the comment period ended, I think. Uh, July 6th. July 6th. And I asked the woman who was in charge of, of receiving those comments, I said, could you send me a, a copy of those comments? I thought we'd be talking about five or ten. Oh, no. Oh, no. How many, Max? 30,000, I've heard. I've heard, she told me, 75,000. Yeah. 
thousand yeah. comments. Yeah, there's a lot. Seventy-five thousand comments, and I imagine it's probably split down the middle. Pro and well, con. And, and the government will do their due diligence to sift through that. And the, I've spoke with for one of the stories I wrote from uh, NOAA Fisheries that they they spend their time and they deliberate and they take both industry and and environmental groups um, feedback into account and. Uh, you know, do their due diligence to make an educated decision. And, and typically when you get an early stage proposal like this, you'll find that the, the regulation that ultimately is landed on or the, the rule that's landed on is somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah. Christian, I, I assume, and I don't want to intrude, but did your organization encourage its members to write into NOAA and contribute to that batch of 75,000? Oh, we certainly did, as did many, many other, you know, national groups. I mean, the whales are very, very popular. When we talk to people around town and, and around the community and across the Gulf Coast, you know, they're what we call charismatic megafauna, right? These big animals that people identify with. They love bears and turtles and manatees uh, and, and whales as well. So the support for their preservation is not only popular, but I'll remind everybody it's the law. And so we enshrined um, these values as Americans that we care about endangered species. In the Endangered Species Act when it was passed uh, in 1973, 50 years ago. So the law of the land is that we will not only protect this species, the rice is whale, but we will recover it, meaning we will bring its population back to a level at which it's no longer. Uh, yeah, no longer and nine, 90 scientists wrote in from all over the world with one common letter, and they uh, obviously spoke in terms of preserving uh, the whale, but they said that this particular rice as well has a spectacular vocal repertoire making a long call that has not been heard in any other species. Rather interesting. Mario, what do you got? Well, I've got a couple of emails and texts. I'd just like to read this one here. It says, I can't stand what we humans do to our beautiful animals on this uh, majestic but bedraggled planet. And we, we concur here on Down and Dirty. Uh, we feel the same way. Let me see. I've got another one here. I'd like to open this up. It says, thank you for covering this important topic Jackie in Clearwater, you're welcome, Jackie. We do our best as much as we possibly can. Um, let me see what this says here. There's a chance that these beings may be more intelligent than we are. What about the fuel saving? What about the planning ahead? So these are these are comments that are coming in from from the listening audience. We appreciate your participation because, after all, you know we do this each and every week. With you guys in mind, we like to further the conversation, right? It's important that everybody gets their voices heard. I, myself, personally speaking, for me, myself, and I, the three of us, all living in my head, it's like who's going to speak for the whales? I mean, that's all I'm saying. You know, in the Florida Panther, we mentioned them a couple of times today. We did some things for them, right? We created overpasses and underpasses. We tried to kind of mitigate that, that situation with the, with the impact of cars encroaching. And it's us. It's not them. It's us. We're the ones that are doing this to the animals. So, so I told the, um, I'm sorry, Jason, I told the, the Florida Ports Council that even though they couldn't join us or they wouldn't join us, that I'd read some of their comments. Uh, they, they said that this proposal, proposed rules, but it's not proposed rules yet, is it, Max? But this proposed uh, rule poses a clear and present danger to Florida's economy, public safety, and the security of our nation. Uh, it's as if Noah wants Florida to hang up a close for business uh, sign on the door. Uh, Bob, you mentioned this in your letter, um, an issue of national security as related to the military and the military's use of this particular part of the Gulf of Mexico. What did you say on that, Bob? Well, I mean, in the panhandle, the reason why we don't have the oil industry offshore in the panhandle 
It's primarily due to the fact of the Defense Department and the Navy bases. You've got the the uh, Naval Air Station in Pensacola. You've got the Mine Defense Lab here in Panama City. You got Herbert Field in Fort Walton. You got Tyndall Air Force Base. All these people constantly, and we see them and hear them all the time. You know, I got jets flying me over all the time, and I got customers on boat. What's all that racket? And I tell them all, that's the sound of freedom. That's the boat. That's the the, the jets and the boats, the mine defense people. Submarines periodically come through here. You've got all this happening offshore of the Panhandle. And a lot of it goes on out there in that area where these wells exist. It's like Representative Dunn, my representative in Congress, stated to me when we were talking about this early on. The Chinese love this, right? Because we're out here, the government's out here trying to develop new technology and do everything we can do to protect the citizens of this country and the, uh, the freedom in the world. And now you're going to say, okay, you got a submarine running through here. He can't go any faster than 10 knots. And at nighttime, he's got to stop unless he goes underwater. And I suspect that would even go further because these whales go up and down in the water column. Submarine might hit it 100 fathoms down. So you've got an issue here that affects everything. It, 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 and the, the other thing about this that I'll say, rarely do you see so many different groups of people, so many sectors, recreational, commercial, shipping, uh, local communities, because our communities, our chambers, our cities, uh, our county commissions, they've all opposed this thing, come together as one unit supporting something that they do to let's get more research before we start shutting everything down. All right. And and by the way, you mentioned Congress. Uh, I saw a letter from eight Republican uh, congressman from the state of Florida all chiming in and opposing any of this type of regulation. Uh, somebody was going to say something. Jason? Have we considered rebranding them? What about calling the Rice's Whale the Freedom Whale? Would that make you more inclined to protect it? Oh, you're such a smart ass. <laughs> well, I've got, a, I've got an email here that I need to read also. It says, this guy irks me. I think they're talking about you, Jason, or maybe Captain Bob. I'm sorry, Captain Bob. It says, I don't want to hear about our freedom as we destroy the species of our environment. And they, listen, this is a, this gate swings both ways. And and we've got a question, uh, Captain Bob, we've got a question from Max. We'd like to uh, open the mic to Max at this time. Hey, uh, Captain Bob, it's great to, great to hear from you. And um, I, 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 journalistically here, just uh, what what do you propose as the, the solution for the rice's whale in terms of how to um, ultimately save them, but in terms of vessel strikes and other measures, what do you think is a common sense solution to save these animals. And we only have a minute, Bob. It's like like I said in our letter. We, we support, let's tag, satellite tag these, some of these animals. Let's find some, let's tag them, and clearly the difficulty is going to be in finding one. But let's tag them, let's figure out where they go, what they do, how they live, where they their habitat really is, what they're doing. And then once we get that out there, let's then look at seeing what we can do to try to help protect them. All right, Bob says more science. Bob says more science first. Right, more science first, and then, and then possibly address it later on. Mario, you got a call? We do. We have a caller from Vivian. Vivian, we see you there. We're going to come to you now, Vivian. Vivian, welcome to the show. Please share your comments with us. Hi, thanks, and I agree with the email writer that said, um, "What's the point of freedom?" And you know, we're talking extinction. We're not talking about the existential potential threat of invasion. However, I want to point out some of the mistakes we've already made here in Florida, like for the iconic Florida scrub jay. 
the only endemic bird in our state. Mm -hmm. And the protections that we have enacted are woefully inadequate. They are now extinct in Hillsborough County. And that's happened just over the last 10 years because we are not enforcing the Endangered Species Act and we are not doing enough. And it's not that big of a sacrifice to do a little bit to save these amazing creatures. I think it's our responsibility and it's our duty in a free world. Thank you so much, Vivian. We take your comments to heart. John, did you have a comment that you wanted to share with us as well? well Thank we're, you, Vivian. We're, we're, coming, we're coming down toward the end of our hour, um, but I hope people um, keep talking about this. I think it's an extremely important issue. Um, so right now we have in our studio Max Chesney from the Tampa Bay Times. Max is doing a great job as an environmental reporter on this issue and all the other issues that are so important, not only to our Bay Area, but to the community. Thank you, Max, for coming in. Thanks for having me. Christian, I'm sorry uh, we didn't. We should have had two or three hours on this. Christian, are you still there? I'm here, yeah. Okay, listen, I p apologize for not giving you enough air time. Uh, I think later on uh, in the year, as, as these uh, issues uh, evolve, we'll, we'll come back to this discussion. I think it's extremely important. Uh, if you want to know more about his organization, look up uh, healthygulf.org. Uh, That's Christian Wegley. And Captain Bob, are you still there? Yes, definitely. Yes, I am. Can I mention one other thing real quick? Real quick. There was a media announcement. The Biden administration is considering a $20,000 fine, prison for boaters, to exceed 11.5 miles an hour, which is 10 knots in the Florida Gulf. But, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> My organization is, is the uh, Southern Offshore Fishing Association. We've got a website that they can pull that up. Uh, NACO, the National Association of Charter Boat Operators, they can go. We've got a website for that so they can find out anything they need to know about either organization. All right. Captain Bob, we appreciate you coming on on, on short notice. And, and tackling this uh, controversial subject with us, Mario. Thank you, Captain Bob. We appreciate your time. Listen, everybody, uh, this, this show we do each and every week with a lot of love in our hearts and consideration for, for all the hot topics that we need to be discussing. And we hope that you're getting a lot out of this as well because we, um, we put the time and the effort into it. And uh, we will continue to bring you these, these hot topics, as it were. We will continue to be down and dirty. John, because why? That's what we do. Max, thanks so much for sharing your time in studio with us here today. <clears throat> if you don't have anything else to do this weekend, stay hydrated, stay cool. Be on the lookout for these beautiful animals that are out there in Mario, the Mario, you can't help yourself but to be cool. I know, I know. It's just my problem. But listen, on behalf uh, of my broadcast partner, John Dingfelder, our engineer right across from me, Jason Marlowe, and our phone screener and part-time producer, Lynn Marvin Dingfelder. I'm Mario Nunez. I'd like to wish you all a salud and happy days. We'll be on the lookout for you next week. Stay tuned now for The Skinny with Ray Roa, Ben Montgomery, and Mitch Perry. Have a great weekend, everybody. So listen, um... Oh